I've lived in New Jersey my entire life. I've been a fiction writer, actor, playwright, blogger, gourmet chef, home renovator, event planner, landscape architect, and decorator. Now, I'm married to a professional drummer who is also an award-winning photographer, so the arts have always been really important to me. There are so many people in New Jersey that are involved in the arts, and I am planning to talk to all of them. Well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And I'm inviting you to listen in. I'm Lucille Sapio, talking arts and culture, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. I had the privilege of spending an hour with Michelle Knox, an artist and community activist in Keyport. And the reason I say the privilege, because this woman is so busy. Not only is she a glass blower and a sculptor and a fabricator, she is also the president of the Art Society of Keyport on the board of directors for Monmouth Arts, a stakeholder in the downtown Keyport neighborhood preservation program, and a bunch of other things. But she found the time to talk to me for an hour, and this is our edited conversation. Hello, Michelle. Hi there. How are you? I'm great. It's great to meet you. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me. So, Michelle, a lot of your art is described as mixed media. Yep. What are the elements you use to create art? Well, I'm a classically trained glassblower, so I kind of have that unique background. I started blowing glass in the late 1990s when I first went to college, and I just fell in love with it. So I decided to pursue that professionally, which led me to move to California, where I went to the California College of the Arts and Crafts, which is now the California College of the Arts in the San Francisco Bay Area. And there, you know, I really kind of studied classical sculpture and got really trained in a lot of different things. I found glass to be such an alluring material for so many reasons. Certain limitations were also presented with the opportunities that were presented in using the material. So scale was one of them, for example. I'm a small, petite woman. I can't make really big sculptures by blowing glass. So I started adding in other elements to gain scale, to kind of contrast the kind of textures and sheen and physicality of the glass against other materials. And those materials have varied. A lot of natural materials, um, definitely wood, but I've used things like found river rocks and reeds and clay that I've sculpted. I've learned to weld and I've learned to woodwork Mm -hmm. over my career. So those elements come into play. And that's probably pretty much it. You know, as I move forward in my career, I'm looking to diversify the material list a little bit. But that's what I've been doing so far. So how does mixed media art differ from crafts? Well, that's an endless question. The craft and art debate goes on and on (laughs) for many people, and I think the hardcore crafty potters will say that they're artists, too. And then the hardcore, you know, soundscape artists making installation art will say that pottery is craft. So I think it depends on who you ask. Um, And and who's doing it. And who's doing it (laughs) and where they are in that process. So, I mean, to me, when I think of craft, I think more of the craftsmanship, personally. I think, you know, are you building something physically in space that has parameters you have to work with. A teacup has to have a a handle, you know, it has to be a cup. There are certain practical aspects of that. So for me, the art and craft conversation is just really endless. And and again, I think it really depends on on who you you ask. So do you you think it has to do with the fact that women were doing more crafts? I mean, what women did was often called crafts. And when men did it, it was art. It was handiworkers. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I no, I mean that's an interesting perspective I haven't really thought on. For for me, craft kind of goes hand in hand with functionality too. Like you know, you can have a very well-made, handcrafted drinking glass out of glass. Are you going to drink out of a sculpture 
that's made in glass. Like, yeah, but, you know, but, the yeah. functionality kind of comes into play with craft. And I also think the quality, you're not going to call yourself a craftsperson if you're throwing paint like Jasper Johns or something like mm. that. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not going to go down that road of self-identifying in that way. So I don't know. You know, I think they're always running parallel to each other. For me, in my professional practice, you can't use glass as a material until you've mastered the craft. Yeah. So there's that component. Similarly to ceramic and even paint. You know, you can't just walk in the door and become an oil painter overnight. You have to understand the material and the medium. And I think that's where the craft component comes in. Mm -hmm. You can't be a figurative drawer if you don't have the craft to render a figure. So I think it really comes into kind of the traditional practices that are put into place to understand the material you're attempting to use and mastering that as the craft. And then what you do with that from that perspective maybe transcends into the realm of art. Mm -hmm. Now, when people think of art and culture, they think of New York City. That's where the museums are. That's where the major galleries are. Right. So how does art in a small town like Keyport mm -hmm. compare to the art experience of a big city? It's definitely different, and it's always evolving. And I think I'm kind of surprised at the level of artistry and the crafts and the skills that are being made in Keyport as the kind of uh, onion unfolds. There's a lot of people making a lot of different things, everything from little crafters building jewelry in their bedroom to professional photographers with studios and people that are showing work in major cities. Keyport has a couple of, of very well-known artists living there that do exhibit in New York and around the country. I think it's just a little bit of a unique place in so much that the arts are appreciated. The art society is really trying to foster a dialogue with the community and, and excavate those people. So one of the projects I'm working on with the Sustain New Jersey initiative is to create a creative asset inventory. And inside of that, what that basically is, is literally an inventory of the creative assets that we have in the mm -hmm. borough so that we can start to utilize the people that are in the community, start to recognize them and leverage that as a tourist attraction, leverage that as um, a funding opportunity for grants from the state and from the regional institutions. So it surprises me constantly how artistic of a community it is. What I'm attempting to do with that program is to get it on the municipality's radar that it's worth investing in the community for that respect. Somewhere like Asbury Park or Red Bank, they recognized that that demographic was already there and they started investing in the community that was there. Mm -hmm. And people like myself in those communities got involved and started helping make decisions. I worked in New York a long time, and everybody that I met that lived in New York was not from New York. Right, nobody's from New York. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, they come from places like right. Keyport, and because we're so close to right. New York... You know, a small town's never going to compete with the richness of a city, and I don't think it has to, but I think what it can do is it can foster and nourish the assets that you have. So the bunch of the projects that I'm doing with the Art Society of Keyport, where I'm the president, is really about community engagement. It's not so much us as the board of directors or the members producing events for the public. It's us including the public in the events that yeah. we're producing. And so some of the examples of the projects that are really evident is like we built a community labyrinth. Literally, I couldn't believe it. 900 people came out of the woodwork and did these paintings that now is a public art project in town. Second project we did in, in the COVID lockdown was a photo exhibition about the things they loved about Keyport. We printed them on vinyl banners and had an outdoor photo exhibition that was weatherproof that was art for the community by the community. So it's just a different way of presenting art and engaging engaging in the community. And I think through actions like that, Keyport will become an arts destination. Now, in your artist statement, you talk about your interest in sculpture 
and installation. You say your right. art requires participation. And that sounds like performance art, is it? No, my particular type of work really focused more on creating spaces and architectural references. So a lot of my large-scale sculptural work, they were very large, usually multi-componental. Like I was mentioning, it's hard to blow glass in a really large capacity. So for example, I made a, a sculpture with 150 small pieces of glass that were hung from the ceiling and suspended, and they were all individually hand-mirrorized. So hmm. there were these glow that were cascading down from the ceiling, creating a repetition of your own body as you're moving through the space. So you're confronted with your own image throughout the whole installation. Like a lot of people, I have often looked at certain pieces of art and thought, well, I could have done that. Right. I'm thinking of works by artists like Kandinsky or Rothko, for example. Right. Of course, I didn't take the time to do it, and they did. Right. But even if I had, chances are no one would have given it a second thought. So a two-part question. What's the balance between having an idea or vision and actually having the talent to create a piece of art? That's a good question. I think some of it comes back to the craft conversation that we just had. Do you have the ability to paint a red box? But Rothko didn't just paint red boxes. Um, sure, you could have created a red box, but his red box isn't just red. His red box is outlined with purples and blues, and they fade into the background, hmm. and they're large. It takes dedication. It takes willingness to fail. It takes trial and error. It takes craft. It takes time. It takes money. It takes space. And it takes not being lazy. <laughs> and having enough of an interest to go every day and make 100 red squares that look like crap until you get the red square that looks like perfect, you know? And here's the second part of my question. How do we decide the value of a piece of art? by how it makes us feel or by how impressed our friends will be when they see it in our house. The value of art, the financial value is one concept, right? And that comes with years of having a, a record of sale. It's like anything else. What will the market bear? That's a complex question and, and you know an art dealer would probably have a better answer. From a perspective as an artist, does that really matter in how good a piece is? No, but it's like I always kind of equate it to like rock bands. Like how many garage bands have there been throughout time? How many garage bands became Nirvana? One. There's something special about a particular sound or a particular artist that attracts attention and there's a magnetism to that person. So, I mean, some of it is personal, like what do I find valuable when I look at art versus what you find valuable versus what does the art market find valuable? Yeah. You know, those are really different questions that have a long cultural history that are different regionally, that are different culturally. The question on what makes it culturally relevant is a much deeper question. Mm -hmm. What does your work try to say? What's the narrative of your work? <laughs> That's a good question. I've struggled with that for a long time. I work pretty minimalistically. I, I use a lot of monochromatic uh, whites and blacks and grays. I play a lot with light and texture and scale and shadows and things like that. A little bit ethereal in concept. So I am not doing politically narrative or politically motivated work. I'm not a figurative artist. I've always worked in an abstract way with a lot of subtleties and really always struggled with the balance of beauty being relevant and I remember a professor telling me your work is too pretty <laughs> it looks like it should be in like Martha Stewart or something like that and this was a sculptural piece and I also remember this particular instructor saying just pick a topic and and run with it while that has validity to pick a topic and talk about it I also really struggled with the why can't I just make something beautiful I don't want to say that it's not about anything. I think for me, it's about motivating emotion. And, and whatever that emotion may be is your own personal experience. But it's really just about accepting something beautiful just to be beautiful.
So you've made promoting arts in Keyport an important element of your life as an artist. You even started a consulting firm dedicated to funding the arts, the environment, and social equity issues. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your top priority in those multiple roles that you play? That's another good question. I mean, some of it, I mean, to be honest, is a little bit of self-satisfaction. I think when you're an artist, like in my career in the past 20 years, I spent a lot of time alone. I spent a lot of time in my studio processing things by myself. For me, it's really about building community, building my own community, building my own social network, building my own place that I want to live that's an interesting town to live in. And so I'm just hoping to connect people with similar interests just to really, you know, connect with one another, especially this past year. You know, obviously the disconnect has been great. And so Arch is one way that people from all different backgrounds, all different ethnic and, and socioeconomic and demographics come together and can kind of appreciate a basic human narrative. Like humans have been creating things for beauty and things for thought and things for stimulation forever. It's an intrinsic human construct that we should celebrate. What gives you more satisfaction? Creating the art yourself or being a part of this big collective that's putting the art together? I think the me from like 10 years ago would have said that me doing it myself was the most satisfying. I think I'm really, again, in this transformational period in my psyche and my own practice that I really am looking forward to doing things with people. And I think that in the end, I'm going to find that much more satisfying. Mm -hmm. You know, between you and I, I got pretty burnt out on the gallery um, hustle. I was making tons of work, spending tons of money, shipping things, making things, you know, working day jobs, working at night alone in my studio, missing birthdays, diehard, like, focused, and I fried out. I couldn't sustain myself financially on just making art, even though I was selling a lot of art, and even though I was selling, you know, art it was became about half of my income, but, you know, it wasn't enough to, to quit my day job. It became a big balancing act, and at the end of the day, I felt pretty shitty about myself, like yeah. a failure. Like, I'm like, okay, you can't do it. You can't make it happen. Like, what are you going to do? How are you going to pick up the pieces from this realization that, like, you have to do something different? Yeah. And I think the picking up of the pieces of that has been this kind of collaborative, community-based approach that feels mm -hmm. a lot more rewarding than me chasing down the dollars to make money. Yeah, and that's why a lot of times people find a lot more satisfaction in being an artist once they don't have to do it for money. Right. I think that is a big turning point for me. And it took a lot of time to get there. It took a lot of time to be like, you know what? I'm just going to get a freaking day job. And I do. And I have a decent one. And like, I come home not exhausted. Like I used to work, you know, 16 hours a day because I do whatever I had to do for money. And then I would push myself to the brink to get into the studio mm. and the physicality of being a, a five foot one sculptor lifting heavy wood and metal and glass around. Like I was just torturing myself my body was thrashed my mind was thrashed my morale was thrashed and I just really had to kind of step back and say yeah. I have to reassess this like this isn't making me happy even though this was mm. my dream yeah. you know even though I dreamed of being an artist and I pursued it hardcore I have a master's degree in art I've got you know an accolades of, of awards and scholarships and and galleries but like at the end of the day I was just like holy shit I'm totally fried you know that's the thing I think in any art whether you're a musician or a painter or a writer Right. or an actor when you have to do it to earn a living it it's a never joy out yeah, of it, it takes, a little bit yeah, I do acting <clears throat> And most recently, and although not, of course, in the last year, I've done a lot right. of those murder mystery dinners. Oh, fun. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing is the people that I work with are all so professional. We and it be it's a 
enjoyable. It's not every day till like midnight. Right. And <laughs> and right. when I get paid, I'm like, oh, I forgot I was getting paid. Right. Because I'm not doing, it, doing it for it the, the money. Joy. So that's been a rediscovery for me, you know, and it was a conscious discovery. I was like, I have to go back to finding that like joyful place. Because yeah. for me, making was a really physical thing. I thrive in that high intensity environment, but at the same time, like it has to bring me pleasure. It has to bring me some kind of joy because if it's just bringing me like, oh, I'm rejected to another show or the or the buyer backed out or I got another residency rejection letter because that's the truth of the matter. You got to yeah. apply to a hundred places to get one and, it, and it's just the way that it is unless you're a rock star and not all of us are going to be rock stars. So I, you know, I just encourage people to stay focused and, and make sure that you're doing what you're doing because you love to do it. For me, it was like, I, I went to art school. I spent all this money. I, I know all these artists. I have to make a success of this or I'm going to feel like a total failure in life. And really that's just not true. I feel happier yeah. now than I ever yeah. have. I'm more confident. I have more time for the things I enjoy to do. And I'm trying to balance the creative aspect into the life I want to live instead of it leading me. I'm leading it. You know what? Even Bruce Springsteen and a lot of other artists, Lady Gaga struggles with depression. You don't get any more successful than her. You know, if listeners out there don't believe me, go find an artist you like and read their biography. You know, if you can do it, you're one of the few and go for it and do your best. But if you just enjoy making and you like to be creative, don't let it stop you that you're not paying your rent on it. Take the seriousness out of it a little yeah. bit. At least for me, that really helped like my refresh of my perspective. Many artists are reluctant to talk about how frustrating and baffling the art world is. They want to be diplomatic and they don't want to burn bridges. I know opportunities don't just happen. So talk to me about how you personally have navigated the art world. That's a good question. I mean, I started making connections with gallerists and designers probably about 15 or so years ago. And I did a bunch of different things. You know, I mean, at one point when print was still um, really out there, I printed postcards, I mailed them to galleries and designers that I thought would like my work. I went to trade shows where those people were and I introduced myself. I would go to art fairs and introduce myself. Um, one of the key things I think, you have to find the dealers and the designers whose aesthetic aligns with yours. And I build a business mm -hmm. relationship like you would in anything else. So what mistakes have you made as an artist? I had a failure of a product. I did this mirrorizing thing. It's a chemical process and like something didn't go right and mm. I sent work somewhere and it looked really bad and it totally destroyed the relationship. And unfortunately, that relationship probably would have yielded a lot of financial gain and I just couldn't get back in front of them again. My particular industry, uh, the glassblowers like to party and there's a lot of partying and drinking and I don't know that those things mix with business sometimes. <laughs> I think, you know, the tongue gets a little loose and, you know, maybe... Um, Business and pleasure shouldn't mix so much, you know, sometimes. You know, overall, I think I, I've given my career 120%. Sometimes I think, was it a mistake to get an art degree in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my last question, and okay. I can't believe we've been talking for an hour because yeah. this has been really good. <laughs> you have good um, questions. How do you envision your last 10 years? I don't know. Again, happiness, you know. I'm really, I'm really, I'm kind of zen in that way. I really want to be happy. I, I want to feel love for myself you know primarily I want to ha be surrounded by people that love me back um, I want to be always learning and always growing and always changing so hopefully you know I'll be healthy and happy and 
be like the 90 year old woman I just said who's still making art and enjoying you know my grown son by then and I love to travel and you know maybe there'll be some freedom in my later years where I won't have to be going to work every day and I can <laughs> do the endless things that interest me um, I'm very I have a lot of hobbies and a lot of interests and I just want to live a happy life so you know I'm looking forward to the next couple decades I think uh, I'm, I'm like getting better with age you know I'm uh, you know I had a, I've had a really wild life. Like I said, I've lived all over the country. I've lived in major cities most of my life, from New York to Chicago to New Orleans to California and uh, maybe some others in there. And I'm really just looking to kind of settle into myself in a quieter place and just um, explore being happy. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for making time today. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you and so then, much. It was I think fun. we should be friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll come over for coffee anytime. Okay. You can come over to Keyport. <laughs> I love the arts, and I love to talk, and that's why I'm talking to local artists. And if you like listening, then subscribe to my podcast. You can do it on this page, on iTunes, or anywhere you get podcasts. I'm Lucille Sapio, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk.